Um, if you would turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 21, verse 34. Luke 21, verse 34. Title of my sermon is, Are You Ready? Are you ready? There's probably not a more important question that I can ask a church is, are you ready? Not only a church being ready, but are individually, is everybody here ready? And this is one of the main doctrines of the church is this readiness for the return of the Lord. There's an imminent return, meaning it's going to happen and it's going to happen suddenly. It's going to happen without notice. It's not, there's not going to be a sign. It's going to be very similar, the Bible says, to when a thief breaks into your house. You know, and, and a thief doesn't announce it. He doesn't put a sign on your door that says, I'm breaking in your house tonight at 2.37. Okay, the successful thief, not that I have a good understanding of how to succeed as a thief, but he'll break in in the hour you least expect it. So why would God say, my return will be like a thief in the night? And so the question we have to ask ourselves, if I'm a truly loving pastor, is I have to ask, are you ready? And if you're not, then how do we get ready? Because that's the question of the hour, right? Praise the Lord. It says, be careful. Or your hearts will be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and the anxieties of life. How many know that uh, you look around and you see a lot of people that what's on their mind is not the coming of the Lord, but it's all these things about life. You know, everybody's occupied with the things of life, and the Bible's saying, be careful Don't occupy yourself with these enjoyments of life and the anxieties of life and all of these things distracted. How many many think that's true? We have to be careful because otherwise we can think about everything else except the return of the Lord. And that day will close on you suddenly like a trap. For it will come on all those who live on what? The face of the earth. So if you're on the face of the earth and you're not ready, it'll close in on you like a trap. But if you're ready, you won't be trapped, right? But it'll happen to everybody on the face of the earth. For it will come on all those who live on the face of the whole earth. Be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to what? Escape all that is about to happen. And that you may be able to stand where? Before the Son of Man. Where's the Son of Man at? On the face of the earth? Real important question. I'm escaping... Not because I'm hidden somewhere on the face of the earth, because everybody on the face of the earth is going to experience it, except for this group that escapes. And they're in the presence of Jesus in heaven. Very important to understand that. So if we want to be a part of that group, how many of you want to be a part of that group that escapes all that is coming upon the earth and everybody who's experiencing on the face of the earth. I want to be a part of that number. And so there are two comings here that I'm going to study today. One is the coming that is visible to everybody. Like lightning goes across the sky. I've seen it, you've seen it, everybody's seen it, right? Very visible. There is a coming that's visible. Every eye will see. There will be signs that go in advance of it. It's called the second coming of the Lord... The Jews have been waiting for that date for a very long time. But then there's also an escape to those who are going to be in the presence of the Lord in heaven and will not be on the face of the earth and will escape all that is what? Coming on the face of the earth. Jesus' words, not mine. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray right now for this message, Lord. 
Speak your words and not mine, Lord. Lord, I pray that my ignorance would be gone and your wisdom would flow, Lord God. Speak it the way you want it spoke, Lord. Lord, give your children ears to hear, Lord God. In your name I pray. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, I can't read my handwriting. I think that says 1 Timothy 3. Turn there if you would. First Timothy 3 says, that's not what that says. 2 Timothy 3, I'm sorry. It says, but mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. That's the days that we're living in now. From the time of Christ and the early church until now has been the last days. And it says in the last times, terrible times in the last days, people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, have nothing to do with them. So wait a minute. What do you mean have nothing to do with them? The Bible says those who are looking for his blessed hope purify themselves. God's asking us to separate ourselves and prepare ourselves for the coming of the Lord. And it says here that in the last days you're going to begin to see all these things happen around you. All these things, um, these lovers of themselves, boastful, proud, everything against God. And as we begin to see these things, sometimes we're surprised. How many think that some Christians are very surprised when they see these things happen? And then there's a, I believe there's a fear that we have to win somehow. Somehow we have to turn the course of this wickedness and somehow win. Somehow when I minister to the lost, I must win every one of them. The Bible asks us to be a witness. The Bible asks us to um, represent the Lord properly, represent the Word of God to a lost world. It's His job to save the lost. And so God asks us to represent His kingdom, represent His Word. But the Bible says in the last days, all these perilous times are going to occur and, and over and over and over and over, God tells us, be ready, be ready, be ready, be ready. Watch, 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 be careful, be ready, be ready, be ready. And so everything in me as a pastor says, get your eyes off of everything that's going around you, all the wickedness, all the hatefulness, all the antichrist, all the apostate churches, the apostate pastors, all of those who are against the things of God. Get your eyes off of all that and look up because your redemption is drawing nigh. And God wants you to focus on Him. Focus on loving Him. Focus on being faithful to Him. Focus on waiting for the coming of the Lord. And the scripture that I read today is from Luke... And I'm going to try really hard here. What time is it? 11.17. I've got a lot to cover here. This is a very important passage from Jesus. He gives a prophetic breakdown of the last days. How many know that the book of Revelation wasn't written yet? It wasn't written until later. And so the early church had these writings of Jesus... And, and one of the major writings that he had was a thing called the Olivet Discourse. The Olivet Discourse is this. It's just Jesus' conversation with the disciples right before his death. And it is basically Jesus being a prophet 
and telling them what's going to happen in the last days, and it lines up perfectly with what John would hear from Jesus and write in the book of Revelation. And so Jesus is laying out um, in Luke 21, he's laid out everything that's going to happen in the last days, and then later in in chapter 21 he says, but try to be one of those people that escapes all these things that are coming on the earth. He ends it with, Be one of those people who are ready. Be one of those people who are going to escape everything that's coming onto the world. And he begins to tell parables after this in Matthew 24, which is the parallel to this story. It's Luke 21, Matthew 24 and 25, and Mark 13. You have to put them all together to get the whole story because it's three different people telling the story of Jesus teaching them on Mount Olivet. So here's what happens. I have to give you the history of this Um, day that Jesus had here when he began to prophesy. Jesus is walking through the temple, and this temple around 30 A.D., around that period of time, okay, this temple had been worked on for about 50 years. So about 20 B.C., they started rebuilding this temple, Herod's temple, and it was beautiful. Can you imagine 50 years working on this building? And some of these stones, which are called the Herodian stones, can still be seen. These things are 10 to 12 foot long and, and weighed tons. Some of them were like 70 feet long. And so these massive stones are on here. And this area that they're walking out of, the temple area, they go through the Kidron Valley and they go to the Mount Olivet. Well, if you're on Mount Olivet and you look down, how many have ever seen the picture from Mount Olivet looking at the temple? And this particular temple was one of the seven wonders of the world. It was big. It was beautiful. It was a uh, limestone, and when the and there was gold all over the stones. And when you looked at it in the sunlight, it just shined like a diamond. I mean, it was beautiful. In fact, many people said it was the most magnificent of the seven wonders of the world at that time. And Herod did it because he wanted to get the approval of the Jews. There were a lot of Jews that lived in that area. He wanted their approval, and he was partially. He was half Jewish. And so he builds this beautiful, massive temple, 50 years in building. In fact, it wouldn't even be finished until some 34 years later. So that's how many years they put in, almost 85 years in building this temple. Well, Jesus, I want you to imagine, you have to put yourself in this position. Jesus is walking out of the temple. They're sitting on Mount Olivet and the disciples are like, is that not the prettiest thing you've ever seen? They said, this temple is so beautiful. And looking at it in the sunlight, and Jesus just kind of says, yeah, there won't be one stone left on another real soon. And the disciples heard it, because he said it as they were walking out and as they were walking up on Mount Olivet. And so they came back to him later and they said, "Uh, yeah, what you said privately, they began to ask him. What you said about the temple being destroyed, what do you mean by that? When is this going to happen? And so if you want to understand the Olivet Discourse, as it's called, the fancy word for it, the Olivet Conversation that Jesus had with his disciples, if you want to understand it, you have to understand the three questions that they're asking. There are three specific questions that they want to know. One question, and I would read all the passages, I've got them here, but it's going to slow me down. You have to read it yourself. Do homework. No, I only read my Bible at church. Well, read it at home. Okay? <laughs> but the first question is, they want to know when this is going to happen to this massive structure. To them, it's almost unthinkable. How many understand that? Almost unthinkable that this beautiful, one of the seven wonders of the world is going to be destroyed And not only is it going to be destroyed, Jesus prophesies that one stone won't be left on another. There literally won't be one of those giant stones will be left on top of the other one. That's not just a prophecy. That's like a specifics that is amazing, really. And then they, their their Jewish mind, see, in their mind, they thought that when the temple was destroyed there would be a thing called the abomination that causes desolation. And then they felt like there would be an end of the age 
And then they felt like there would be the second coming of Christ, which was called the Messianic Age. And the Messianic Age would set up the kingdom of David, and, and, and the Messiah would rule on his throne and would rule the world. Everybody following me here? They wondered, what's going to cause the end of the age to begin to begin? And then they wanted to know, when will you come back and sit on David's throne and rule all the nations? And they felt like that's what he was coming to do. And so the book of Matthew is very interesting because in the end of Matthew 23, it sets up the beginning of 24 where he begins to tell them about the temple. And at the end of 23, he says that he would have loved to have gathered Jerusalem like a bunch of, like a, like a mother gathering her hens. But they would not receive him. And he says, now I will not come and set up my kingdom until they say, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. So he prophesies that I came to set up my kingdom, but they rejected me. And all through Matthew 23, you see what looks like an Old Testament prophet. Woe to the Pharisees because they did this. Woe to the Pharisees because they did that. Woe to this group because they did this. Woe because they did that. And all of those woes are like an Old Testament prophet saying, you could have had the kingdom set up, but you rejected me. And so at the rejection of the temple, he then announces at the beginning of Matthew 24 that this temple will be destroyed and this city will be overran. And the three questions is what he begins to explain to them because they ask not only for three questions, but they ask for three signs. They say, what are the three signs of our three questions? How many know that Jesus said the Jews always look for a sign? They always look for a sign. But here's what you need to understand, and this message is about the blessed hope. The blessed hope has no sign. The blessed hope, the coming of the Lord in the air, has no signs. But the Jews were asking him for the events that had signs. So the event that has no sign, he doesn't even talk about in this passage until after he tells them the signs. So he goes through and begins to address the three questions. Is everybody following me? So as he begins to answer the three questions, and you have to really take all three passages and put them together, because Luke only really answers the first question. Matthew and Mark list the answer to the second and the third question. And so if you read all of those scriptures individually, you're probably going to come up with some pretty fantastic ideas about the last days. In fact, there's a difference. Let me explain this when you study the Bible. There's a difference between deductive study of the Bible and inductive. Deductive is I read Matthew 24 and I deduct from that what's going to happen in the last days. Inductive means I take the three places where he talks about Olivet, put them all together, and then put together all of the prophets and what they said And inductively, I come up with this. And the problem with Matthew 24 is a lot of people don't understand it because they do it deductively. Does that make sense? I read one passage and I come up with all these fanciful ideas of what's happening in the last days. But you have to put those three together. You have to put together the Old Testament prophets and you come up with what's called inductive. In fact, you may understand a little better like this. Deductive reasoning is... I see a situation in front of me and I reason based on what I see. Inductive reasoning means I not only look at what I see, but I also look at what I know from history. You understand what I'm saying? You add more information when you do it inductively because you know that something may react a certain way or there may be certain environmental issues. You're much more intelligent when you do it inductively because you're putting years of experience into that reasoning. Deductive reasoning only looks at what's in front of you and doesn't have any information from the past. So deductively, you look at 24 and you think, man, what's going on here? 
But inductively, as you begin to look at all three and look at the Old Testament prophets, you begin to see that Jesus is actually explaining what's going to happen in the end of days. First thing he does is he gives general characteristics. In Mark chapter 24, he says, Jesus answered, Watch out that nobody deceives you. For many will come in my name claiming I am the Messiah and will deceive many. You will hear of wars and rumors of wars, but see to it that you are not... What's it say? Alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. In Mark it says, many will come in my name claiming I am he and deceive many. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Then he says it again in Luke 21. He replied, watch out that you are not deceived, for many will come in my name claiming I am he. The time is near. Do not follow them. When you hear of wars and uprisings, don't be frightened. These things must happen first, but the end will not come right away. You understand that he's addressing these are conditions that are going to happen in the tribulation. But what he's saying is they're going to happen all the time. They're not the ones from the tribulation. The one from the tribulation is different than these. He's saying every time there's a war, don't say, well, that's a sign that the end is coming. Because when does the, when does the rapture come? A moment that you don't know. If the sign is there, the woman's already in labor. Do you understand that? If you see the sign and you're watching the signs of Revelation, the Bible says that is the beginning of the birth pang. Okay, when a woman is pregnant, and this is the example God gives because He wants us to be ready. When a woman is pregnant, she has what's called false labor. Okay, and all through history, there have been events, there have been earthquakes in diverse places, there's been wars, there's been rumors of wars, there's been all of these things, and everybody did exactly what he said not to do. They got alarmed and they jumped to conclusions and they say, okay, it's time to get ready. And they were alarmists. They said, let's get ready, let's get ready, now's the time. And he says, no, you're doing what I told you not to do. If you're seeing the sign that I'm telling the Jews today, you're not ready. If you're waiting for a war, if you're waiting for the Antichrist, if you're waiting for the signs of revelation, you're not ready. Because when you see these things, they're going to happen all through history. There's going to be a war. How many thought, how many of you think thought in World War II were in the tribulation? World War I, they thought the same thing. The Spanish-American War, they probably thought the same thing. Every The Revolutionary War, they probably thought the same thing. And what he's saying, no, if you've seen the signs that are in Revelation, the woman is having real birth pains. How many know when a woman has real birth pains, you don't stop it? That baby has decided it's time to be born. And so if you're looking for a sign in the world around us, you're looking the wrong direction. God wants us to be ready for an hour that we least expect. If we want to be the ones who escape this present world and what's coming upon the earth, you had better be ready because if the sign shows up, The woman is in labor and it's all in motion now. So then he goes in the next line. So there will be a rise in false messiahs from the time of Christ until now. Yes, that's happened. There will be wars and rumors of wars, existence of wars. Yes, that has happened. But he's going to answer this first question. What happens when the new age is being ushered in, what happens when the woman goes into labor? And it almost sounds like the same list, but it's not. It says, Matthew 24, 7 and 8. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these things are the beginning of her birth pains. 
You say, well, isn't that the same list he just said? It's not. In the book of Revelation, we begin to see what's called seals. In fact, Luke says the same thing. Then he said to them, nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes, famines, and pestilence in various places, and fearful events and great signs in the heavens. Mark 13, 8. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. Then will earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the beginning of what? Earth pangs. So the first list, he said, don't be alarmed, didn't he? Every time somebody tells you there's a blood moon, every time somebody tells you go here, go there, the time is near, this war, that war, the Antichrist is here, the Antichrist is there, go ahead if you want to and be an alarmist. Or listen to what Jesus said and quit being alarmed and live the right kind of life where you're not getting ready every time you see a sign. Because he said, here's the real sign. There will be a worldwide war. Because why? Because Revelation says this. Revelation 4 says, And I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven, and a voice I heard speaking to me like a trumpet. said, Come up here, John. I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit and before the throne in heaven, and someone was sitting on it. It says you will escape and be with Jesus. That's where we're at if we're right with God, if we're ready. And he says, after this, here's what's going to happen. And you go to Revelation 5 and it says, I saw the right right hand of him who sat on the throne, a scroll with writing on both sides sealed with seven seals. I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or earth or under the earth could open the scroll and even look inside of it. This is the mortgage deed to the earth. Only one person in history could ever restore earth to the way God intended it to be. This is not how God intended it. But the restoration of heaven and earth and our eternity with the Lord is sealed up in that one document. And only one person in history could ever open it, and that was the person who's called the Messiah. And he was the only one that could break the seals that had his name on it. And nobody was worthy to open it, and John began to cry, and John said, wait a minute. There is a person. I wept and I wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, don't weep. See, the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He's able to open the scroll and its seven seals. And I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. You are worthy, I'm skipping down here, you're worthy to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe, language, people, and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom of priests to serve our God, and they will reign with you on the earth. That's us. Revelation 6, I watched. He opened the first seal. Come forth, he said. And a person was given a crown to rule the world. Who is this? The Antichrist. This is the nation against nation, kingdom against kingdom. This Antichrist was given the ability to go and make war and win. The next one, second seal. Come, take peace from the earth. Be a treacherous time. Wars. Do you understand the whole world is going to be at war? Like we've never seen this. But he's saying you can escape all these things that are coming upon the earth. You can escape. The third seal. Come forth. And he said he looked. And he said there was scales in his hand. And this is a bread is costing a fortune to buy. And this is famine. Then he goes in again and he, and he looks and he says, The fourth seal came and a voice said, Come. And it was death. Death was all over the earth. People are dying everywhere. This is the first half of the tribulation. How many know that? Death is everywhere. War is everywhere. Famine is everywhere. The fifth seal was those who were slain because of the word of God and the testimony. There are people in this first half that are being slain. It's a worldwide, in fact, if you want to write this down, Revelation talks about it. This is the worldwide persecution 
of Christians. People get saved after the rapture. There are 144,000 Jewish evangelists all over the world preaching. There are two witnesses preaching. And Gentile people, Christians, get saved. And it's a persecution of Christians like the world has never seen. In fact, the Bible says there's an ecclesiastical church called Mystery Babylon. And she is persecuting and hunting. In fact, certain parts of the Bible says they're being hunted down like animals. You say, well, that'll never happen. It's never happened in history. Read your history. Jesus is telling you about the first three and a half years, the the easy years. These are the easy years. He's saying these are the signs that that seven-year period, the woman has given birth to this now. There's no turning back. If you see these signs, you're in the middle of it. He's saying, listen to me carefully, church. You can escape the things that are coming on this earth if you are ready and waiting for my return. And so everything that Jesus begins to say there are, they line up perfectly with the seals of the first three and a half years. He's answering the first question. He says, all these things are going to be happening. In fact, he lists the things that are going to happen here in this period of time called three and a half years. But then Luke says something unusual that's different than Matthew. Luke stops after that and he says, but wait a minute. The very next verses he says, but before all this, something is going to happen in history before the woman goes into labor. And Luke verse 12 to 19 says, before all this, they will seize you persecute you, hand you over to synagogues, put you in prison, be bought before kings and governors, and on account of my name, you will bear testimony to me. Make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you'll defend yourself, for you will, it will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. You'll be betrayed even by your parents, brothers, sisters, relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. Everyone will hate you because of me, but not a hair on your head will perish. Stand firm, and you will win lives. Basically, Luke gives the account of Jesus talking to his disciples. And what he's saying is, remember, this is in the 30s A.D. He's telling his disciples now, before all that happens in the future, Right now, this is what's going to happen to you. How many know that all of Jesus' disciples were martyred except John, and they just weren't successful with John? He gives a detailed account of nine different things that are going to happen to Jesus' disciples. And if you look at history, everything, like he said, happens to his disciples. So the before all this in Luke is, here's what's going to happen to you guys on account of my name. All right? Now stay with me. So now he goes to the goes to the second sign. So what's the first sign he talks about? When will the end of the age start? Is that question he's answering? Answers the third question. When will the end of the age start? And when is the end of the age going to start? What's the sign? The sign is there will be an antichrist. There will be a war. There will be a major war. There will be famine, earthquake, pestilence, all at one time. That's the sign that the end of the age has started, that the woman is now in labor. Does everybody see that? So now he goes to the next question they have. And the next question is the fall of Jerusalem. They specifically ask, when will Jerusalem fall? So in Luke 20, he's very specific about it. He says, when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, you will know that its desolation is near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those in the city get out. Let those who are in the country not enter the city. For the time of punishment and fulfillment of all that has been written, how dreadful it will be in those days when the pregnant, for pregnant women and nursing mothers, they will be great, there will be great distress in the land and the wrath against this people. They will fall by the sword and they will be taken as prisoners to all the nations. Jerusalem will be trampled by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. So Jesus gives a prophecy 
for when that beautiful temple is going to be destroyed. And history shows that exactly, and you say, well, man, this is boring. Why do I have to listen to what happened during that time period? Because you'll see how amazing his prophecy is, and then we're going to get to us. And in order for us to believe what he's telling us, we've got to see what he's already said. So in 30 AD, he says the temple's going to be destroyed. There won't be a stone left on another. And then he says, what is the sign um, of when uh, Jerusalem is going to be destroyed? He says, the sign will be when armies are all around. So what should I be looking for? When armies are all around Jerusalem, I need to flee to the mountains and not defend her. So the history will show that there was a commander that surrounded Jerusalem. And this was before its destruction in 70 AD. And as this commander, Gallus, was around Jerusalem, this, this uh, general, um, he surrounded the city and, was, and, and laid siege to it. And then he had heard that back in Caesarea, his supply lines had been damaged and he didn't have enough resources because of a Jewish attack to continue the siege. So he had to leave, go back to Caesarea to fight some of the Jewish people, and he died. Well, he had surrounded the city. They were scared to death. They had no way of getting out, but Jesus said, that's your sign. He said, when you see this, leave the city. Do you know that every, this is just what history says, every single Jewish Christian left that city. They started a town on the other side of the Jordan River, and every single Jewish Christian survived the attack. One million, one hundred thousand people died in the siege of Jerusalem, but because of Jesus' words... All of the Jewish Christians got out. When the general left to go strengthen his supply lines and died, well, the emperor also died. By the time Titus and his father, who was the new emperor, came back, Christians were all gone. Only the ones that didn't have the word of the Lord died in that siege. So Jesus is giving a prophecy for them. They're asking for a sign. When will the temple be destroyed? And he says, when the armies are around it, get out of there, which makes no sense. How can you get out of there when the armies have surrounded it? So as soon as the armies left, they left. Then the armies came back a few years later and they were all gone. Isn't that amazing? The words of Jesus, this prophecy. So he answered that question. Well, there's a third question that that, that he wants to answer. And the third question is, when... Will you return? When are you going to come back and set up your kingdom? So anyway, he gives two different periods of time. One, he gives a definition of what's going to happen before the abomination that causes desolation. So he begins to explain, here's all the events that are going to occur before the abomination that causes desolation. And here's all the events that are going to happen after the abomination that causes desolation. So he gives a sign that when you see this abomination that causes desolation, that means the Antichrist, and it's all through the Old Testament. Jesus quotes pretty well the Old Testament. In fact, there's more prophecies in the Old Testament about the day of the Lord and the Lord setting up his kingdom on David's throne than there are about Jesus actually coming and dying as the Messiah. In fact, all through the Bible, just study the day of the Lord and every prophet, and he gives this prophecy constantly of Jesus coming, everybody seeing him and setting up his kingdom, and the wicked being judged. And he says, the sign you want to really watch is when the Antichrist comes into the temple, that's going to tell you that it's almost time for him to return. You can actually time his actual second coming by looking at when the abomination that causes desolation. When the Antichrist comes in the temple, he's telling them their answer to their question. He's not saying, be around when that happens. He's saying, you ask me for the signs, and the sign is when you see this person called the Antichrist, the Old Testament calls him the prince, when you see him walk into the temple, which means the temple will be there, right? It'll be built. When he walks into the temple 
and he sets up an image and there's an abomination in the temple, he gives a different definition and says, get out of there. Flee to the mountains. And now they'll be protected in the mountains. The one before, the other one that looks like the same one, but it's not, says they'll be scattered to all the nations of the earth. Well, the other one says... Flee when you see the abomination because you'll be protected in an area that God has specially designed for this group of people. So he begins to tell them about the first three and a half years, gives all the things that happens in the first three three and a half years. Then he gives a definition of the last three and a half years, the before the abomination, the after the abomination. I actually would love to teach this a little longer, but I'm trying to hurry through this. And then after he does all this, he begins to address... The rapture of the church. And remember how important this is because they did not have the book of Revelation yet. So now he begins to turn to Matthew chapter 24. And he says this in verse 36. He says, but, and that's a very big word there. Because that particular word is the same word that, um, in fact, it's, it's, it's a parody is the word. And it's the same structure that Paul uses when he changes subjects. So he begins to change the subject here and he says, But about the day and the hour nobody knows, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah so will it be in the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking like normal. They were eating and drinking, they were marrying, giving in marriage up to the day Noah entered the ark. They knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how the coming of the Son of Man will be. Two will be in the field One will be taken, the other left. The women will be grinding at the handmill. One will be taken, the other left. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know what day the Lord will come. Luke 21, 34 says it this way, Be careful, or your hearts will be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, anxieties of life. That day will close on you suddenly like a trap, for it will come on all those who live on the face of the whole earth. Be always on the watch. Pray that you may be able to escape in all that is about to happen and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. So Jesus begins to tell them that it's going to be like the days of Noah. What does that mean? It'll be like the days of Noah. First of all, the one thing you want to notice is how many people know this date? Nobody. The sun doesn't know it. People don't know it. Nobody knows the day or the hour. Nobody knows the day or the hour. But do you know the second coming of the Lord? At the end of the seven-year period, do you know that the entire sky goes completely dark like sackcloth? In complete and utter darkness. There's no light whatsoever. And at the coming of the Lord, you know what the great signal is that the Lord is coming? There will suddenly be the light of the Lord. Which means the entire world will see it. Why? Because you can't survive very long in a darkness like that. The whole earth is dark and at the end of the seven year period, everybody sees it and everybody knows it and everybody knows it's coming. The earth has just been through a traumatic experience. The earth has been through cosmic shaking. The sun, the moon, the stars, everything in it. It's been a traumatic period of time. Everything in the world. Jesus said in in those uh, passages there, it would be a time worse than any time the world has ever had compressed into a small period of time. And the whole world will know the hour and the day because it's going to be completely dark. And then there's going to be a great light. Okay, I could predict that. All right, but there is an hour and a day that nobody knows. Not even the sun knows it. Nobody knows it. The only one that knows that hour and that day is the Father in heaven. And he says it'll be like the days of Noah. Well, the days of Noah, everything was normal. 
There wasn't anything going on that was unusual when that flood came. They were all going about their business. Now, let me ask you this. When you get to the end of the seven-year period, is it going to be normal? They're not going to be eating meals like normal. They're going to be drinking like normal. They're not going to be marrying and giving in marriage like normal. It's going to be a devastating earth, right? So what's he talking about here? He's talking about the rapture of the church. There's going to come a day that's going to catch people like a thief in the night. It's going to be our escape from the things that are coming on this earth. There will be no sign. There will be no signal. Everybody will be acting like normal. The earth will be corrupt and full of wickedness. And suddenly, the Father will say, it's time. The woman will go into labor. And this won't be false labor this time. And if you're there to see the woman's labor, if you're there to see the woman begin to go into labor, the seven seals have been broken. The earth is about to be devastated. The Lord is about to come in seven years of tribulation, but we missed our chance to leave. And God's saying, don't miss your chance today. Quit messing around with the anxieties of life, carousing, drinking, partying, doing all the things the world is doing. He said, the door's going to be shut like it was in the days of Noah. And you lost your chance. You got to go through it now. You say, oh, well, man, I can, I'll, I'll be stern. I'll, I'll begin to go through it. The Bible says that the, False prophets are going to do signs and wonders and miracles and delusion will be upon the people. And if you begin to serve the Lord in that period of time, you're going to probably have your head chopped off. I'm just being real with you today. I'm just being real today. You ever been? You ever seen stories of those nations where they're chopping heads off like it's nothing? They do that, you know. Places that you wouldn't expect it, like... Saudi Arabia. You say, no, it's just only a few places that are really bad and ISIS is... No, a lot of the world right now. They're going to hunt Christians down like they're animals. All right? The, the, the church had the promise that the, 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 the kingdom of Satan would not overcome us. But when the church is gone, there's no such promise. The Antichrist, it says, will triumph over the believers. That means if you want to be a believer in the last days, you're probably going to lose your life or you're going to crawl in a hole in the ground and have to find a way to survive. I'm trying to tell you there's nobody that I love, there's nobody that I care about that I want to see go through this period of time. I don't want anybody that I love or care about or even my worst enemy to go through this period of time. And you say, well, is this something new? Listen to the Old Testament. Isaiah talks about the day of the Lord, which is that seven-year period. Listen how he says it. This corresponds directly with what's happening in Revelation. But Isaiah 13 says, Well, for the day of the Lord is near. It will come like destruction from the Almighty. But you, man, these pastors have been telling me God only loves all the time. My Bible says that Jesus, during that period of time, goes to destroy the wicked. And he says, why is my vesture covered in blood? Why have I been treading out the winepress of my wrath? This is the wrath of Almighty God. He's had a period of grace where he said, I give you a period of time where I want you to repent. I want to show my love toward you. But the wicked just continue to refuse it. And let me tell you something, there are pastors that aren't preaching this. Why? Why am I not allowed to say that the wrath of God is about to be poured on the earth when the Bible says it all the way through? There are a million things in this Bible that aren't in here, but these pastors are saying, don't preach it. Church, we got to get ready. The wrath of God is going to be poured on this earth, but we're in a period called an age of grace that will end. It says, well, the day of the Lord is near. It will come like destruction from the Almighty. Because of this, all hands will go limp. Every man's heart will melt. Terror will seize them. Pain and anguish will grip them. They will writhe in pain like a woman who is in labor. 
They will look aghast at each other, their face aflame. See, the day of the Lord is coming, a cruel day with wrath and fierce anger. God doesn't get angry. Is it true or is it a lie? The day of the Lord is coming, a cruel day of wrath and fierce anger to make the land desolate and destroy the sinners within it. The stars of heaven and their constellations will not show their light. The rising sun will be darkened. The moon will not give its light. I will punish the world for its evil. I would love to say that verse in some churches because I would be called a heretic if I said it in some churches. The Lord has a period of grace, but it will end. There will come a day His wrath will be poured out and He will punish the world for its evil. But a lot of churches say, God doesn't do that. The stars of heaven and their consolation not show their light. They say, I will punish the world for its evil, the wicked for their sins. I will put an end to the arrogance of the haughty. I will humble the pride of the ruthless. I will make man scarce, scarcer than pure gold, more rare than the gods, gold of Ophir. Therefore, I will make the heavens tremble and the earth will shake from its place and the wrath at the wrath of the Lord Almighty in the day of his burning anger. Church, God is gracious. You say, man, I don't understand the grace of God. It's because you don't understand the wrath of God. I don't fear God. It's because you don't know what's coming. There's no fear of God in this world because we don't understand this. We haven't been taught this. Jesus is the one that gives out Jolly Ranchers, right? He hands out Jolly Ranchers, pats them on the head, and says, it's okay. You got a good excuse. Now, my Bible says that we will be left without excuse. Every mouth will be stopped and be guilty before God. If you want to really experience God's grace, God's love, God's patience, God's long-suffering, understand the day that is coming and you'll say, man, I love God's grace. Man, I'm so glad of God's grace. I fear God. Do you understand, church, I fear God? Well, why would you fear God? He's just the big Santa Claus in the sky. I fear God. I don't fear man. I don't fear what people think about my ministry, really. In light of God's wrath that's coming, why would I be worried about my ministry? Why would I be worried about my money? Why would I be worried about these things? I fear God. I love God and I fear God. You say, well, you can't do both. I can I know what's coming. I've read my Bible. Yeah, but that's uh, that's the old. Oh, come on, that's the Old Testament, really. Because Jesus in Matthew twenty-four, look up the verses. He's quoting Isaiah. He's quoting all Old Testament scriptures when he preaches it. Church, you're getting the truth today. You're getting the truth today. You don't have a smiling preacher here telling you peace. Peace. And they said in the last days they'll tell you, peace, peace. Fear the Lord today. There is an opportunity. In fact, the blessed hope. Look at uh, 1 Thessalonians 4.16. 1 Thessalonians 4.16. It says, For the Lord Himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of an archangel, the trumpet call of God, the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up. That word caught up, if I were reading that in Latin, would say rapture. Okay, the best word they could come up in our language was caught up. They could have just as easily said rapture. It's the word rapture. There are seven different times in the Bible that a human being was raptured. That's one of them. It says they're caught up in the air to meet, caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so will we be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage each other with these words. 
Church, I'm so ready. I want to be encouraged with those words. I'm ready to be with the Lord. It's all terrible, man. I got a lot of things I want to do. I don't. I don't. I'm looking forward to meeting with him in the air. I'm looking to him. I'm not looking all around me. I'm not saying, oh, man, they're winning and we're losing. We're not losing. He prophesied all of it. He said in the last days they'll be like this. And and guess what? They'll get worse and they'll get worse and they'll get worse. God's given man freedom to do whatever he wants. But just remember, the day of the Lord is coming. Remember, the day of the Lord is coming. And he says, if you want to go with me, be ready, church. All right, stand to your feet. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Everybody bow their heads with me. Heavenly Father, right now, Lord. Lord, I pray right now for hearts that are not ready. Lord, you ask us to watch, to believe, Lord, to labor, Lord. I just pray right now that you would work on hearts, Lord God. They're living the other way, Lord God. The anxieties of life, the carousing, Lord, the living after the way of the world, Lord God, and not focused on your coming, Lord God. Father, I just pray for your people right now, Lord. If you've never given your heart today, I'm praying right now that God, God would put real Holy Ghost conviction on you. That today is the day. Maybe you've given your heart to the Lord, but man, I'm not focused at all on the coming of the Lord. I'm focused on everything else in life. I'm shook up by the wickedness. I'm shook up by all these things. And I got my eyes off God, but I want to be ready too. Today's the day. Find a place. You say, I want to talk to you. You don't need to talk to me. You need to talk to the Lord. How's it going to help you when you go home and you don't have me to talk to? There's no mediator between God and man that's just you and God. Jesus Christ put a path of blood so you could talk to him. So don't be ashamed today. It's not about how good you look in front of people or what people think about you. If you're not right with God and you need to be led in a sinner's prayer, come see me. See me now. See me when everybody's gone. I don't care, but see me today. I'll lead you to the Lord. If you're not in the right place with the Lord, just find an altar. If it's your chair, if it's up here, just begin to repent and say, God, I fear you. I've been afraid of everything else. I've been afraid of man. I've been afraid of the events. I've been afraid of all the things around me, but it's you I should have feared, God. Jesus himself said, don't fear him who can kill you and kill the body. Fear him that when you have died can send your soul to hell. Jesus said that. He said, fear God. Church, you know these words, these prophecies that have come to pass. The whole book is just nothing but prophecy. What he said before happened and what he said is going to happen. Exactly like I read it today is what's going to come upon this earth very soon. And he said, you can escape what's coming on this earth very soon and you'll be in the presence of the Lord. You say, what if I die before that happens? You'll be in the presence of the Lord if you're right. If you're not, you'll be in a place that's worse than the tribulation. And that's hell. Find a place today. If you need prayer, I'll be happy to pray with you. Find a place and get your life right and be ready. Let's live a life of readiness. Let's not live from sign to sign, church. We're not looking for signs. We're ready. Praise the Lord. Let's worship. Find a place to pray. Lord, don't you appreciate the anointing upon the worshiper, the ministers? Pick the right song every time. Amazing. Blessing. Appreciate that, Ryan. It's awesome, man. I love that song. Listen to this. Titus chapter 2, verse 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Amen? It teaches us to say no 
to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope. What the blessed hope is? The rapture. The glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself to us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people, that's us, that are his very own, eager to do what is good. These then are the things you should teach, Chad. Oh, I put my name there, I'm sorry. Encourage and rebuke with all authority. Do not let anybody despise you. Praise the Lord. Isn't the word good? The blessed hope. Hallelujah. Think on that this week. Pray on that this week. Live that way this week. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for your people, Lord God. Lord, I thank you for your plans, Lord God, your goodness, your love, your grace. Lord, your blessed hope. Father, your love for us, Lord God. Lord, I pray that you would pour your spirit upon us, Lord God, in a world that is wicked. Lord, that we could represent you, Lord God, properly, Lord. Lord, fill us full of your spirit, Lord God. Put a message on our lips, Lord God, that the world needs to hear, Lord God. A message who you are, Lord God, your plans, Lord, your purposes, Lord, Lord, bless these people as they go, Lord God, put your anointing upon them, Lord God, in your name I pray, and everybody said, amen.